Can you echo that prayer? That's, that's a good one. I'm going to ask the kids to make their way to junior church at this time. And we're going to turn to Romans chapter 11. We're going to begin with verse 11 this morning. Romans 11, starting with verse 11. Okay, I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Now, if their transgression be riches for the world and their failure be riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? But I am speaking to you who are Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle of Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. For if their rejection be the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? And if the first piece of dough be holy, the lump is also. And if the root be holy, the branches are too. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive were grafted in amongst them, and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches." But if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief. But you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Behold then the kindness and the severity of God to those who fall severity. But to you, God's kindness If you continue in his kindness, otherwise you will also be cut off. They also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more shall those who are the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? I received a book in the mail last week. Now, that's not... Unusual. I, I get books in the mail, but I hadn't ordered this one. Uh, and I, I get books given to me from a variety of sources. Some of you loan me books to read. I, I, others give me books. I have one individual that gives me books on a regular basis with the idea that uh, I could preach that book. <laughs> and I, I always tell him when I finish preaching the Bible and get everything out of it that I can get out of it, then maybe I'll consider another book. But until then, I'm going to stick with the the Word of God. But this book came from a source I had no idea where it was. I didn't recognize, it didn't even have a return address on it. And so I opened it, and here is a book entitled Harpoon. And I'm thinking, here's somebody's novel. And uh, I, I have three places, three things I do with when somebody gives me books. It, if I'm interested in it, I'll read it. If I'm not interested in it, I'll skim it. And if I'm really not interested in it, I put it in my little trash can beside my desk because <laughs> I, I already know where it's coming from and, and so forth. And that's what I was about to do with this one because I had no idea what it was about. But for some reason, I looked at it a little bit closer And I found out that it was sent to me from the Israel Law Center in in Israel itself. 
And uh, that aroused my curiosity. And so I began to, to, to read the book. And the book is about how the secret services and so forth in Israel are combating the terrorism. And their, their newest tactic is to go after the money. And so they are destroying the, the money channels of, that, that come into the terrorist organizations. A, a fascinating book. I, I'm thankful that I, I received it. But uh, the reason I received it, I found out later, was because I pastor an evangelical church. And perhaps the greatest ally that Israel has today is the evangelical church. They, they look to the church for, for support. Much of the world is anti-Semitic in their feelings. Uh, the United Nations, Palestine, the Arab nations, all are against the, the, the nation of Israel. Much of Europe uh, and in America, the liberal press will always take the side of the Arabs over the side of, of Israel. And uh, unfortunately, many of our mainline denominations have gone that way as well in their boycott of, of Israel. And so they appreciate the evangelical church. They, they look at us as perhaps th their, their greatest friends. They don't buy into our theology, but uh, th they recognize that we stand with them in their battle against terrorism and their, their right to, to the land there. Uh, and the important thing as we think about that is not what does the world say, what does the world think, but what does the word of God say about the nation of Israel? Do they have a right to that land? Do, do they have a right? Or can they look forward to God's blessing again? Or has the church replaced them as so many would teach today? He raises a second question in this chapter. If you recall, two weeks ago, we looked at verse one where he says, God has not rejected his people, has he? And if you remember, his answer to that was a resounding no. God forbid. He raises a second question now, verse 11. He said, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? And again, his answer is, God forbid. They are, God is not finished with his people. They are still his people today. Why are we so adamant about that? I realize Many of them refused to believe. They, they fell as a result of that. They no longer can claim some of the promises, but they're still the people of God. Why is that so important to us? It is because God's character and faithfulness rests upon how he treats his people. He made a promise to Abraham so many years ago. And if he can set that promise aside that he made years ago to Abraham, we don't have much hope as a church either. Because he's made some promises, some tremendous promises to us. And if, if he can set aside his promises to Israel, he can set aside his promise to the church. But the fact of the matter is, Hebrews chapter 6 reveals the fact that God is faithful. And we can count on him. We can count on his word. Uh, in uh, verses 18 and 19 of that chapter, well, beginning in verse 13, he said, God made a promise to Abraham. He couldn't swear by anyone greater than himself, so he swore by himself. And he goes on to say, by two immutable things, it's impossible for God to lie. Those two things are God's word and God's character. It makes it impossible for him to lie to his people. And for us, the benefit comes in verse 19. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast and one which enters within the veil, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. This becomes our hope today. We have staked our lives on the faithfulness of God. 
God has made a promise. If we believe in him, we have eternal life. How many of you made that choice? And how many of you hope that that's, that's a good choice? It is, because God's character is at stake as far as your salvation is concerned. So as we look at these verses, we're going to look at both Israel and the church as well here. Recognizing that both the hope of Israel and the hope of the church rests upon the character of God. And so he brings the two of them together here in his thinking. We start with the rejection of Israel. Israel was out of the land for centuries. They did not enjoy the possession that, that, that God had given to them. Now, we need to, as we think about that, we need to keep two thoughts in the back of our mind. First is ownership. Who owns that land? God is the one that owns it. It wasn't Israel's. It wasn't the Palestinians. It, it, it belongs to God. The psalmist said the earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof. You have a piece of property that you may have a, a title to, but really, you don't own it. I, I hate to burst your bubble here, but uh, we, we, we like to think, this is mine. I, I've earned it. I've worked for it. I've paid for it. Uh, you've paid for the use of it. It belongs to God. It's his. And, and that's the same with Israel. But God has said you to Israel, this is your land. You have the right to it. Enjoyment of that land it's a different matter. Enjoyment rested on their obedience. If they followed him, they could dwell within the land. God would bless them. They would enjoy it. If they disobeyed him, they would miss out on enjoying the blessing of the land. Matter of fact, they would be removed from the land for a time. So that brings us to what Paul is saying here. First of all, he takes a look at their transgression. He's dealing with them as a nation at this point, not as individuals. And in verse 11, he says, they've stumbled. Not the, the, the word fall could be translated stumble here. And the question is, are they beyond recovery? And Paul would say, God forbid. God is able to restore them. He's able to bring them back. We have the same promise in the Psalms. Psalm 37 in verse 23 it says, the steps of a man are established by the Lord. He delights in his ways. When he falls, he shall not be hurled headlong, because the one, the Lord is the one who holds his hands. I don't know about you, but I find that an encouraging verse. Have you ever stumbled morally, fallen into sin when you, you shouldn't have, uh, did something that you knew was wrong, and and yet... It's encouraging to realize in those moments, God still has a hold of your hand. He's going to pick you up. He's going to correct the problem. Going to say, it's time to get back on your feet and get walking again. Keep moving. He's holding our hand there. And that's the idea that Paul has here in verse 11. Yes, they stumbled for a time because of their unbelief. But God is going to pick them up again and put them back on their feet. Now, the interesting thing is this same idea relates to the church as well. In First Peter chapter 2, Peter quotes these same verses there. Uh, Christ can be a rock of stumbling. He can be a stepping stone to glory. It, and the emphasis there, the same as here for Israel and for the churches, do we really believe him? If we don't believe, we miss out on some of the blessing that, that, that he would have for us. 
So th- that leads to the treasure here that is lost in verse 12. He, he speaks of the fact their transgression, the riches here were transferred in a sense to, to the Gentiles. What was Israel's greatest treasure? Was it the land? What was it the the cities, the vineyards, the farms that they, they didn't even have to work for that was suddenly given to them? I would suggest today that... Uh, while God promised them the land and gave that to them, that was not their greatest treasure. Uh, he, he lists some of their treasures back in chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 18 there. He speaks of the fact that they knew his will. He, he had revealed his will to them. He instructed them out of the law. They were a guide to the blind, a light to the Gentiles, corrector of the foolishness, and so forth. And then you come down to chapter 9, and they had the fathers, they had the, the law, they had the word of God given to them, and so forth. All of these were blessings, a, a treasure that they had. But the greatest treasure, the greatest blessing that they had was the presence of God in their midst. God came and dwelt amongst them. It was in the, the pillar of fire and cloud. Later, he moved into the, the tabernacle, and then he moved into the temple when, when, when the temple was built. That was what marked them as a special people. Isaiah chapter 12, verse 6 says, Great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. They were great because God was in their midst. In, in, Daniel, in Daniel chapter 11, as he's meditating on all of those strange visions that the Lord gave him and so forth, it, come down to, the angel says to him in 1132, the people that know their God have great strength. It is the presence of God that makes us great today. Um, Moses realized that. If you recall, when they came to Kadesh Barnea, God said, go in and possess the land. This is the land I've given to you. They sent us 12 spies in. Ten of them came back and gave a, a it was a good land. They, they admitted that, but they said, you know what? There's giants in there. There's walled cities. We, we can't go in there. We're grasshoppers in their sight. And the people refused to go in. At that time, the Lord appeared to Moses. And, Mo, uh, and uh, he said, Moses, get back from these people. I'm going to wipe them out. And Moses pled for the, the nation. He said, you can't do that. What, what are the Gentiles going to say about that? that? You weren't able to bring them in, so you, you took their lives and so forth. And, and uh, the Lord said, okay, I'll... I'll they're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And all of the men that have refused to go in, they're, they're going to die before the nation goes into the promised land. And then he said to Moses, Moses, you're going to lead these people for those 40 years, but I'm not going with you. I'm going to send an angel before you. He'll, he'll lead you. He'll direct you. Do you remember what Moses did at that point? He said to the Lord, if you don't go with us, don't send us. Why? Because the greatest blessing, the greatest treasure they had as a people was the reality that God was in their midst. And uh, sadly, years later in the book of Ezekiel, we witnessed the glory of the Lord being taken away from the nation and, and they, when they stumbled and refused to believe God there. But uh, have you ever stopped to ask, where does God reside today? resides in our hearts in our lives. What a tremendous blessing we have received because they stumbled. They refused to believe, and, and God has moved into our hearts and lives when, when we be, believe him there. 
And yet, I think, as we look at this passage, there's a tremendous warning for us here. If you go back to verse 4, it says, uh, 15.4, in the wrong chapter, verse 15, verse 4, he says, Whatever was written in earlier times were written for our instruction, that through perseverance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. This is not just a collection of stories. They're written for our benefit. They're, they're, they're written to, to teach us something there. And, and so I think the warning is to us as well as it was to the nation of Israel. Do we shut God out of our lives through unbelief? Do we allow idols to cry crowd into our life and, and keep us from realizing the blessing of God in us today? Do, do, do we miss some of the blessings because we are following the ways of Israel? That leads into number C in your notes, the temporary rejection. They missed the blessing. They had the opportunity to be a blessing to the whole world. And yet notice verse 15 there, the rejection meant the reconciliation of the world. And and yet he says it's temporary. God is again going to restore his people there. But first comes the reconciliation of the Gentiles. Salvation, he said in verse 11, has come to the Gentiles because God is at work in the church today. What does that reconciliation involve for us today? It involves, first of all, salvation. Israel lost the blessing we receive the blessing. They lost it because of unbelief. We receive it because we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul's pattern has been down, was wherever he went, he went to the Jews first. If there was a synagogue there, that's the first place he went to preach the gospel message, to reveal who Jesus Christ was to them. When he, the Jews in the synagogue would reject him, what would he do? He'd take the message to the Gentiles. And, and so that's how it eventually came to, to you and I. Now, that shouldn't surprise us because back in the very promise that God made to Israel in Genesis chapter 12, remember he said, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. It was always God's intention to reach out to the whole world, not just to the nation of Israel, but, but to the world itself. So we, in a sense, have received a blessing today. Israel's treasure has become our treasure. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27 says, Christ in you, what? The hope of glory. Just think, you have residing in you the hope of glory today. I like the uh, picture that's given in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, where he says, we have this treasure. What treasure? The, the, the reality of the Spirit of God dwelling within us there. We have it in earthen vessels. Somebody has translated that we have it in cracked pots because <laughs> as that pot is cracked the, the the glory of the lord can shine forth through, through through that pot and i like to look out and think hey i'm talking to a bunch of cracked pots today <laughs> it makes it easier <laughs> but praise the lord he has taken that treasure and he has placed it within us the greatest treasure we have today I believe, is the reality that Christ dwells within us. Hebrews chapter three, or uh, chapter 13 and verse 5 and 6 says, uh, don't be covetous. Don't focus on the things of this world. Remember, he said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. No matter where we are, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what we're going through, 
we can rest in the fact that the presence of Christ is there with us. Some of you are going through some difficult times. Some of you are going through some struggles and trials. You're not alone. The Spirit of God rests upon you today. But he doesn't stop there. After he talks, uh, 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 I'm jumping ahead of myself. The next one is reconciliation there, verse 15. He speaks to the fact that we've been reconciled. In, in Romans 5.1, we saw that. Uh, if we've been justified by faith. Because we're justified by faith, we have peace with God. Romans chapter 8, he speaks of the fact that if we're in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. What, what a tremendous blessing that is today, to be reconciled, to be right with God. We are truly blessed of God. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to speak of the rise of Israel here. Praise the Lord. God's not finished with his people yet. Verse 15 indicates that they're going to be accepted someday. He uses two illustrations, and, and we're just going to briefly touch on them, and then we'll come back to some of them next week. But uh, he uses the illustration of the dough there, the, the lump there. Uh, he said, if the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also. Who is that first piece? It's Jesus Christ. He is the one who is the lump for us. In Numbers chapter 15, uh, we, we read beginning in verse 17 about the first first part of the dough there. Uh, he said, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the sons of Israel and say, when you enter the land, when I bring you in, then it shall be when you eat the food of the land, you shall lift up an offering to the Lord of the first of your dough. You shall lift up a cake as an offering, as an offering of the flat threshing floor. So it shall be lifted up from the first of your dough. You shall give to the Lord an offering throughout your generations. It was a continuous offering that was given there, a, a reminder as, as the first lump there that there was more to come. And so just as he was that first lump of clay, you and I are lumps of clay in a sense. Uh, and and we're, we've been reconciled to God. We, we, we belong to God. And so does the nation of Israel. The rise of Israel will come as they recognize him as Lord. Same picture comes out of the branch where he speaks of the olive tree here. Uh, you can read Jeremiah eleven sixteen and 17 on that and Hosea 14, 4 through 6. In both of those passages, he identifies the nation of Israel as branches of the olive tree. And he speaks here, they've been cut off for a time, but they're also going to be grafted back in. When is that going to happen? going to happen when Jesus Christ returns. If you read the book of Zechariah, come down to chapter 12 there, you have the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he sets foot on the Mount of Olives, and he marches from there into Jerusalem. But the significant thing is there that the people are going to see him as he sets foot there on the Mount of Olives. They're going to see the prince in his hands. They're going to see the, the, where he was pierced in his side. And they're going to return to their tents, and they're going to weep and mourn and repent. They're going to believe this is the Messiah, and they're going to get right with God. And at that point, as they believe on him, at that point, then he is able to restore the nation to a place of blessing. But that leads to the fourth thing here, the responsibility of the church. We've been blessed, tremendously blessed, but I think we need to take heed to the warning, not only in 1 Corinthians, or I mean in Romans chapter 15, which we read, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 there, he speaks 
in verse 12, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Verse 11, he said, These things are our examples. They're written for our instruction. And then he says, Be careful. Be careful how you live. Don't want to miss out on the blessing that, that God has today. What does he warn us about here? First of all, in verses 17 and 18, he warns us about beware of arrogance or boasting now. Sadly, we see that in those that like to say, we've replaced Israel. We, we have all of the blessing of Israel today. Uh, there's an element of spiritual pride in that that, that needs to be dealt with. Uh, we, we need to remember in, in John chapter 15, Jesus said, I'm the vine. Your life comes from me. It doesn't come from yourselves. It isn't anything that you have done. It's what I have done that, that makes you what you are today. Beware of arrogance. In verses 19 and 20, he says, I want you to beware of pride. I think a good verse for us to go back to over and over again is 1 Corinthians 15.10, where Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. It's not me. It's not my doings. It, it's God's grace at, at work in me. Spiritual pride can do more damage than anything else. Uh, Proverbs sixteen eight says, pride goeth before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. That's what happened to the nation of Israel. They didn't need God or thought they didn't need God. They, they could do it themselves, and they found out they couldn't. John chapter 15, he speaks of the fact that if we abide in him and he abides in us, then we bring forth fruit. But if, if we try to do it on our own, we're in serious trouble there. So the third thing he warns the church about here is to beware of presumption in verses 21 and 22. Israel thought God owed them a living. Remember the Pharisees as they came to, to Jesus, they said, hey, we have Abraham as our father. God's obligated to bless us. And God was saying, I'm going to remove your branch. We, we can presume that we're okay today because, after all, we were born in America. That's a Christian nation, isn't it? Uh, we, we were born with Christian parents, so we, we, we've got to be all right. Uh, the problem is, unless we believe, we're lost. We have to come to that point where we accept him as our personal Savior. And even then, we need to beware of presuming upon the grace of God. Remember in Romans, Revelation chapter 2, the Lord is sending a message to seven different churches there. The first one was the church of Ephesus. And you come down to verse 5, and he said, you've, you've lost. You, you, you've left your first love. He said, I want you to remember. And then he said, I want you to repent, or I'm going to remove your candlestick. It's possible for us to miss God's blessing if we presume upon God's grace and, and entertain sin in, in our midst. Sadly, when you go through those messages to the seven churches, you come to the last one, the church of Laodicea in chapter 3, and he makes mention of the fact, I will spew you out of my mouth. You, you, you're, I can no longer bless you there because of the sin that was in their lives. And it's possible even in a church context for us to play our games. And God says, I have to remove you. In verse 22, he speaks here of the severity and the kindness of God. Praise the Lord for his kindness. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for his kindness. But praise the Lord. He also is there to deal with us when we, we go astray. God is faithful to Israel. He's faithful to the church. We need to take warning 
from the direction that the nation of Israel went. Why did they lose some of those blessings? They lost it because of sin in their midst. Now, they're going to come back to a place of blessing God. They're still God's people. But what are they missing today because of their unbelief? And I think as we realize this is an object lesson to the church, that it's good for us sometimes to search our hearts and lives. What are we? What do we miss if we entertain sin in our life? Uh, the sin of pride, the the sin of discontent, the, the sin of gossip, the, the the sin of strife. All of these can hinder the work of what God wants to do in us and through us. We need to take some time, I think, and examine our hearts and make sure that we don't entertain these things. It's so easy for us, like the nation of Israel, if we're not careful to forget that Jesus Christ is Lord. We're not Lord. He is. And we need to follow his word And if we want his blessing in our lives. So my challenge to you this week is spend some time meditating on why did Israel stumble? And make sure that there's not an element of that in your own heart and life that would lead you to miss out on the full blessing of God upon your hearts today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all that you've done for us on the cross. May we never be content, though, Father, to live a mediocre life, a life that entertains sin. But may we be willing to press on and allow you to cleanse us, to fill us, to use us to the glory of Jesus Christ, we pray in your name. Amen. With that in mind, we're going to sing Higher Ground.
Dan is not with us this morning, so 